Romans 12, are you there? We'll get there in, in just a moment. I want you, this is like a real question, not a communicator's question where you're supposed to not respond, but one where you actually are. But when you see these two words sitting next to each other, um, what does it make you think of? What comes to mind when you see the words love all? And let's just have some conversation here. Yeah, Brett. Okay, what Jesus has done for us. Community, okay. What's that, Bruce? Unconditional. What's that? Your neighbor who you've not gotten along. Okay. Yeah. Now we're getting real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Feels like work. Inclusive. Okay. Yeah. Selfless. Yeah. Being nice. Yeah. Okay. Forgiveness. Yeah. Respect, all right? No boundaries. No boundaries, okay. Charity, did you have something? I, I missed your hand, I'm sorry. Okay, amen, I like that. Thank you, Mom, for the translation. Let, let me ask you this. You don't need to raise your hand or stand, but just think about this for a second. On a continuum of seeing the words love all sort of begins to drain your battery. Like, oh man, that looks heavy and hard. Or over here, like does, does the word love all sort of like energize you and challenge you? Like, yes, love all. That's just it's so inspirational. Or are you somewhere in the middle where you're maybe a little bit apathetic? Like, yeah, of course, love all. So, so don't answer that, but just think about that for a second. Because where you are on sort of the battery charge or drain or eh of those words might, might tell you about sort of where you're at in your relationships right now, uh, might tell you a lot about sort of your inner world of kind of where you are. There's something going on in the NFL right now where on the back of players' helmets, there are many, many slogans. Choose love. Stop hate. It takes all of us. So these kinds of slogans, and for the more cynical among us, we would look at that and say, great that you have a slogan. What's changing? What does it mean that it takes all of us? Choose love? Of course. But what does that look like? Are you actually doing it? I think love all can be a little bit like world peace. It's something we all say that we want, knowing there's no expectation that anything will fall on me to actually do anything about it. Love all, yep, heart, like all the things, like we'll, we'll agree to it, but does it really mean anything? Uh, beauty contestants, I'm not sure if they still do, I've never really been a beauty contestant watcher, but world peace was something that beauty contestants would want. What do you want most in, in life? I want world peace. Everyone applauds and says, that's a great answer. Of course we want that. Love all. Love all can become code for love none. Even in the church. In the church, it ought not be. In the church, we have a book. In the church, we have the Bible where God tells us how Jesus actually loved all. 
and how we are to carry on that call of love. Jesus was talking to a lawyer one time, and it says this. There's this key little line. It says, the lawyer, looking to justify himself, said this, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus went on to tell the famous story of the good Samaritan. And the answer he was giving this lawyer who was trying to justify himself, love everyone, come on, who really is my neighbor? The answer Jesus was giving is this, the neighbor is one that you act neighborly toward. It kind of boils it down to actual people. And that's where we're going to go this morning. I am not going to give you a love-all message that is going to be all sort of ooey-gooey, too much syrup on the pancakes where it's like too much of a good thing. Nothing really changes. In fact, it's all just sort of sappy hallmark. Instead, I want to sort of dig in and say, let's, let's look at how we can actually apply this and what can we actually do about this. Advent conspiracy is something that some churches created in the Pacific Northwest years ago, and many churches have sort of jumped on, uh, on and, and done this. I love the concept of it. And the whole idea of Advent conspiracy is fantastic. Advent simply means an arrival or a coming. And a conspiracy is a secret plan put together by a group of people. So the whole idea behind Advent conspiracy is how do we as Christians celebrate and walk through the Advent season and not get like sucked into the consumerism of the United States? How can we not just go immediately into debt and busyness and saying yes to everything uh, except for the things maybe that matter most? How do we not uh, end up a week or two or a month after Christmas regretting sort of how we, we celebrated the Lord's birth. So those are the kinds of things that we're, we're looking at. You'll notice that we've been giving, we've been sort of modeling this idea of relational gifts. We've had a lot of fun sort of thinking through um, uh, the, the decoration this year. In fact, Jen, are you still in the room? Jen Feldmeyer, is she still here? Okay, um, Jen, there's been a whole team of, of people doing this, uh, but Jen has been at the very center of this. So if you could just thank Jen, clap loud because she's in the office. Um, <laughs> I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that because it's been really fun. As we were dreaming up sort of uh, how do we unfold this, this decoration, this Christmas season, um, we're going to do it little by little. We're going to sort of slowly let it unfold. That's the way that the birth of Christ happened, right? Jesus shows up. History is actually changing right now, and people don't see it. And then slowly over time, sort of like, like a flower blossoming or like a sunrise. If you've ever seen the very first rays of sunrise, in moments, it changes. And a few moments later, it changes some more. And in a few glorious moments, it's like, ah, it's just incredible. That's the story of Christmas that we're celebrating, that we're trying to actually capture a little bit with the decorations. Uh, let me say this about Love All. Uh, we intentionally wanted to introduce color on the very last week. We sort of went after a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory vibe, uh, but that sort of brought in Narnia, snow, and wonderment. So you walk through a wardrobe to enter in. This is my buddy, the lamp right here. It's not Beauty and the Beast. Think more Narnia. Um, and <laughs> a little confusing. He's not going to start talking any minute. But on the last week, we wanted to introduce color, and not just Christmas color, because God opens our minds and our brains to, to life as it really is, sort of color as it really is, the full spectrum of color. 
I feel I have to say this. I didn't really think about this until this morning. But we're going to talk about love this morning and loving all. And there's rainbow colors here. Do you see where I'm going? I want to bring this up because we're going to get to, we're going to get to some more specifics. What does it really mean to love all? What does it mean to be inclusive? How do we wrestle through sort of the current cultural narrative? You'll notice we do not have a giant rainbow flag that says all are welcome. Although we welcome all. I want to bring this up. The colors of the rainbow and the full spectrum of color, in fact, is a created gift of God. We did not create it, make it. We simply receive it with the receivers that God designed into our body. And so when we talk about love all, and the kids are going to be dismissed to, uh, to lollipops this morning. Um, so if you have a nice car, just keep it closed until you get home. Um, otherwise, your call. Um, but I, but I wanted to, to we, we, we wanted to bring in color and not just leave it sort of in the, in the narrow band of Christmas color to sort of like just open our mind to the fact that God blows our minds. He's doing something bigger and greater than we can possibly imagine. And we get to love all, and it's this really big daunting thing until you boil it down to some basic things that I, I hope to hand you something that will be uh, really powerful. Love all has a context, and I love sort of the progression of this. We started with worship fully. That worship is the foundation and the fuel that informs everything else we're talking about. And if you get away from worship, then these other tenets sort of turn into something else. They can be very self-serving. So it begins with worship fully. And then our hot chocolate mug is spend less. Define enough in your time, in your energy, in your money. What's enough? Instead of just, you know, I got a raise or I got this or I kind of packing to the larger suitcase. Find out what's enough and just settle there and decide that anything over and above might be for gifting others. So worship fully, spend less, give more. And that was last week. I got to listen to that on a podcast in an airport in Denver. Great job, Andres. Thanks for, for teaching us there. And then this morning is love all. It's our fourth tenet of what we're talking about. Loving involves sharing. Uh, Andres said this last week that, um, you know, you think of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is a part of love, right? I think Andres said this. You can give and not be loving. Like, you can give very self-serving. People give all the time self-serving. Well, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to hold that over you. That's not an act of love at all. It's not worshiping God at all. It's not mimicking Jesus at all. But if you're going to love, it is going to require sacrifice. It is going to require giving. One of the words we love around here is the word share. And the whole idea of share is like as a father, things that just absolutely blows my mind and blesses me more than most things is when my kids are given something and they have every right to hold on to what they've been given, And they willingly, without being asked or without putting on a show for the parents, they just share with their siblings. You know who are hardest to share with sometimes? Siblings, right? Like you share with a kid at the park, you know, they might be more receptive, they don't annoy you yet, like all that kind of stuff. You share with your siblings, especially your younger siblings. That's a really, really powerful act of love. It's a picture of love. What I want to show you today is this. Um, 
You ever heard the expression that um, sharing is caring? How many have heard that? Raise your hand. Okay. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring is, is not that unique. In fact, many, many people, especially this time of year, sort of get the unction to share a little bit. Ding, 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 ding. Like outside of the grocery store, I'll put something in, you know, uh, that kind of thing. For Christians, uh, it's a little bit different. Um, it's not just sharing is caring. To really share like Jesus, um, sharing is daring. Sharing is daring. We touched on this as we started to talk about what comes to mind when you think about loving all. It, it, it brings up a neighbor that's been hard to kind of get along with. It brings up situations right now that you're like, am I going to incriminate myself by saying we should just be kind and gentle and loving and gracious to all people? Knowing in the back of my mind, um, I'm in a text battle right now with, with a family member. So it begins to sort of press in on us that to love and to share like Jesus did is a daring venture. Sharing is daring. Let me show you sort of the love all scope that the Bible pictures for us so that you know that I'm not making this up. We're not just called to love, but to love in actually some really unreasonable ways. Ways that will get your friends and family saying you shouldn't be doing that. Okay, let me show you some scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Peter 2, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Josh, you said the word respect. There's a passage that says, outdo one another in giving outdo one another in showing honor. Like that's the Christian way. That's the Christian family way. You want to be in competition here as a Christian? You ought to be outdoing one another in giving preference and honor to other people. Galatians chapter 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to, see the word, everyone. And especially to those who are the household of faith. This is probably been true in every generation, but I worked a lot of time with college students, and I remember this time sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s, where we were on a cycle where it was really big to bash the church. It's really big to sort of bash any institutional religion at all. So I'm spiritual, but I'm not going to call myself a Christian. I meet with Jesus, but we do it in a bar, in a hip way, and my pants are rolled up, and I've got cool facial hair, and we do it sort of the right way, sort of the early church way. And I couldn't ever be sitting in something like this, because this is either uncool or unbiblical or unhelpful. It's pretty interesting that um, a lot of those uh, that I had conversations with as a college pastor um, are now just like you. They're, They're sitting in a church, in a very imperfect church, that struggles and has its joys and has its weird things that are going on, and they're pulling in that direction because Jesus has led them to say, come, come and be a part of the congregation. Come and be a part of my bride, the, 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 the church. So this passage really clearly um, sort of checks off the thing that says, um, I can do good for, for people out there, but I, I can't stand helping out Christians. The Bible says nonsense. Do good to everyone, but especially the, to those in your, in your family. Hard to share with siblings, isn't it? Hard to share with people you know don't deserve it. I promise you, whoever you share with this next week that you don't know, they don't deserve it either. But it's hard when you know that person's junk. You're like, yeah, but they really don't deserve it. That's the call of Jesus, to share. All right, everyone sounds like a lot. 
Sounds an awful lot like loving all, doesn't it? Sharing in Christ is daring. Let me show you the word share in the scripture, just a couple passages. Share is sort of love in action, right? Not just talking about it, thinking about it, putting choose love on the back of a helmet, but actually uh, working towards something. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. To the rich, Paul writes in 1 Timothy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. By the way, we're rich. Worldwide, we're, we're wealthy beyond imagination. So let's think about how love all becomes something that we can really actually do and put on our, our calendar, put in our budget, um, and, and, and begin to, to kind of put feet to it. <clears throat> Let me turn to our passage here, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 9. It's a really short, profound little passage, and I'm going to read it in two different versions this morning. We're just sort of going to walk through this. In fact, on your notes, if you're taking notes, it always helps me stay engaged. Um, what we have is we have sort of three little prayers to say, God, help me grow up in, in loving all. Help me, help me figure out what this, what this looks like. So Romans 12, 9 says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Isn't it such a kindness of God that I could very, very easily teach this to my two third graders this afternoon? No big language lesson, no big, like, that's just pretty plain, isn't it? It's sitting right in front of us. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. Just listen, because I'll, I'll be reading from it. It says this, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. We've been sort of having this theme of encounter and enter in. Many, many, many people encounter things of Jesus. The Bible, a glimpse of his grace, a cross on a church building or on a necklace. But many, in fact, most don't enter into it. And I would say love all is, is sort of this thing. We can, we can sort of encounter even these concepts that are hanging here and sort of give mental agreement to it and say, yeah, those are, those are good things. I'd like to do that. But then not actually change, not actually enter in and do that. Jesus said this, many on that day, he's talking about the great day of judgment. He says, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then he goes on to list activities, good-sounding spiritual activities that sound a lot like they're sacrificially spending less on themselves and giving more to others. And Jesus says on that day, I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. We missed the first one. We're not in relationship. You're not worshiping fully. You're not worshiping me. You're actually worshiping yourself or you're worshiping the cultural narrative. But you're not worshiping me. I don't know you. So it all begins and enters and centers around this relationship with Jesus. So here's how I've broken this down. Uh, if you're taking notes, the first one is just um, true love. So what we're going to see here is this pattern that we actually see a few different places in Scripture that love has there's sort of a dark side to it. There's an other side to the coin of love. And every parent knows this. That love is not just about 
unending agreement and affirmation of everything that child ever does, that that's actually unloving, right? That you actually oppose your friends, your family, your children, your dog for their own good, right? You, you oppose them in love. Love has this sort of dark oppositional side to it. So it hits on this pattern that we're going to sort of see, which is true love, hate evil, cling to good, okay? So first one is true love. And here's the prayer. God, help me love all by growing me in what love actually is. Because left to my own self, it will twist and morph into something else. If you don't believe me that that's true of you, look at your, if you're over, I don't even know what age would be appropriate. But look at your love life. Look at the choices that you've made, right? Look at the business relationships or friendships and you thought, man, this person's so loving and I'm so loving to them. And right now you are not speaking to that person and they're not speaking to you. All of us have a wake of relationships in, in, the, in, the, in the past, some of which we know what went on because we were the culprits. We haven't dealt with it. Some of which we're still just confused you don't need to raise your hand because I know it's true of you too. Don't you have relationships? You're like, I, st- I don't know what happened. I know we're not on speaking terms. I know that that person uh, really has an issue with me. I'm not sure what's happening right now. True love. Love must be sincere. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. So the question then is, how do I know what is true love and what is Fake love. That's the all-important question. How do I know what's true and what's fake? Isn't love love? That's what I've been told. I hear that a lot, in fact. Love is love. Let me state really openly and plainly that that is a nonsense statement. Whoever you talk to that ever thinks that love is love has a limit to what is no longer love. That is most often talking about, I can love whoever I want, whatever gender I want. It's moving towards however many people in a relationship I want. Here's what is still a cultural no-no. Isn't there an age of someone who would say, no, love is love, who is loving the age of someone else that the culture still finds wicked and despicable? Isn't that true? We would find that boundary, wouldn't we? If we had a conversation this Christmas, at Christmas time, over a lovely Christmas meal, and someone presses you, hey, as a Christian, you don't believe love is love, do you? Well, let's, let's talk about that. I think that's a complex thing. Let's, that's kind of a slogan. Let's, what do you mean by that? And for someone who would say love is love and they would hold up rainbow slogans and say that means that gender is no longer an issue, marriage is, is, uh, is give or take, here's, here's the, the pertinent question. Where is that line where love is no longer, line, uh, no, love, is no longer love? Because we all have it. And here's the more pressing question. Who decides that line? I'm here to tell you, I am not qualified to tell you what is true and false love. That's not what I'm here to do. If you're here saying, well, who are you to tell me love is up? I'm not. I am not qualified to draw that line. I would make a mess of it and have made a mess of it just like you have. No human being is qualified to tell you who to love and who not to love, what is love, what isn't love, what's real love, what's fake love. 
God is. And God's demonstrated it not just with a written word that has all sorts of guardrails for our safety, for our well-being, for our thriving in love, but also what we celebrate at Christmas. Sent his son to live a life of love. So as we sort of walk in and just say, what's true in fake love? We're going to keep coming back and thinking about Jesus. John 13, 34. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Catch this line. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you're to love one another. The reason that for a Christian, for a disciple of Jesus, loving, I mean sharing is daring, is because the kind and quality and duration of love is that of Jesus Christ. That ought to be daunting to you. How did Jesus end his earthly life? Kind of a trick question. You're like, well, do you want the ascension or do you want the the great? He died on the cross. That's how. He died was killed, actually, loving all. Now, he rose from the grave. That's what we celebrate at communion. And he ascended. But this is the kind of love that we're to display. Disciples quite simply hear and do what Jesus says. You want to know if love is sincere or if it's fake, either internally? God, Help me see my own motives in this. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. Love can be confusing. Relationships can be very confusing. Go to the book. Go to the scriptures. Keep reading the gospels. How did Jesus interact with people? Some of you are conflict avoiders. You hate conflict. It feels bad to be in conflict. And so when that starts to happen, there's something that washes over your mind that says, I must not be loving or they must not be loving because there's conflict involved. One of the things I want to point out with Jesus is Jesus was in a lot of conflict. It got physical. Jesus was in a lot of conflict, and yet he loved all. I saw a sign on a church uh, two days ago. It said, Jesus didn't reject people, neither do we. Jesus didn't reject people, neither do we. <clears throat> now, how does that land on you? What comes to mind when you see that in front of a church? What? Okay. Brandon said he drove money changers out of the temple. So you're coming up with an, ex- an example of maybe where he rejected someone, or at least their activity. Yeah. Catherine, did you have something? Any other thoughts? Jesus didn't reject people, neither do we. Why wash tombs? Okay. That's some of you like, what does that mean? It means this. Jesus called names to religious people like me. He said, your outside looks great. You're doing it for money. You're doing it for something else. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're a really good looking uh, perfumed grave. That's what you are. Catherine. Yeah. 
Anyone immediately go to something positive? We've all, we've all sort of, here's what we've done. What we've sort of done is we've sort of said, well, wait a minute, like time out. What do you mean by that? Because actually there are some hard things to love. There are some lines being drawn that I think you're not taking into account. Isn't that sort of what's sort of stirring up? How about on the, on the surface, on the positive end, don't you look at that and go, yeah, you want to talk inclusive. Jesus is the most inclusive person you'll ever meet. Those who shouldn't have access in, he welcomes in. He's so inclusive, it'll blow your mind on anything you think about uh, inclusivity. Our sort of cheap, fake, trivial version of it is actually a smokescreen for something else. Our version that we talk about sort of in our culture right now is we're inclusive. Unless you disagree with our definition of inclusivity, then we're really, really exclusive. You're not in the club, right? Isn't that exactly where it sits right now? Jesus is inclusive beyond your wildest imagination. So Jesus didn't reject people, neither do we. On the surface, I go, in every way Jesus didn't reject people, we don't reject people. I agree with that a thousand percent. Love the sentiment. It happened to have a rainbow sign underneath that phrase. So again, that is signaling a certain inclusivity that goes way beyond the bounds of Scripture, way beyond the bounds of Orthodox Christianity that's been held for thousands of years. So what I would just want to say is this. As we engage in loving all, it gets complex and it gets challenging very, very, very quickly. I hope to show you, if I have time at the end, a couple of things to sort of plant in your mind um, that I pray will affect relationships and conversations and really present listening to some of your family that may be at odds with you and you're at odds with them, truth be told. Because I think there's so much room for us as Christians to grow in this. It's a process. That's why it says, help me grow in love. Help me learn how to do this, God. I need to constantly be growing in this. I don't want to get cynical. I don't want to see a slogan and hear every negative conversation I've had about that and immediately barf out another slogan to that person and distance ourselves even more. I'm utterly convinced that people who are rejecting the God of the Bible, the Jesus that I know personally, have no idea of what God they're rejecting. So I want to be a witness. I want to bear witness to what God is doing. I have great news for you. God will grow and expand your heart for people. If you're a Christian here today, you have unimaginable power in your life. It actually resides in us. It's the Spirit of God. That's a really powerful thing. If we pray along the lines of God's will in our life, He will see to it that it will happen. We've already seen from the Scriptures a couple. I could go on and on with examples, so I'm not proof texting a couple small places. It is in line with God's will that we love all in the way, manner, and framework of Jesus. So pray that. Pray that prayer. Say, God, I know this is in line with your will. Help me to it. Number two, hate evil. So hate evil is a part of loving all. God, help me to love all by hating evil, sin, and death. You want to know how to start loving people? Don't be evil to them. (laughs) That's like a good start. 
neighbor that I kind of am annoyed with. Just don't do evil things to them. Like, that's a really, really good start, isn't it? It sounds pretty straightforward. Hey, Christians, hate evil. Check. Got it. But church, we know this is a daily thing. Sin is crouching at your door. Temptation, like a lion, ready to devour you. So this whole idea of hating evil sounds straightforward. But all that is broken out there in this world out there is broken right here in me, your pastor. And so I'm wrestling with and needing the mending and the healing and the forgiving and the cleansing of, that's not love. That is not loving. Old habits that die hard that say, no, I'm I'm creating all things new, including how you think about uh, these things. I love Eugene Peterson's run for dear life from evil. Act like your life depends on it to hate evil because it does. Your very life depends on running from evil. Not making agreements with it, not limiting it. We are to kill the sin in us. The Bible talks about, in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He's talking very specifically to a pastor, to a preacher. Do you hear that it's not just on the words that you say, preacher? Keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself, Christian, and on the things that you say. If you find yourself just repeating slogans, getting into you know, little, little moral battles, ethical battles, political battles, whatever it might be, and you find yourself not in a loving position towards that person, close the mouth. Work on the inside. Here's something for all Christians. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's the callus on a finger of a guitar player. You push on it, push on it, push on it, push on it. Pretty soon you lose the feeling in that finger. When I played a ton of guitar, I could do party tricks of like putting my finger on something hot for a second and not, have, not feeling it, right? It's a dumb thing. Don't do it. Wasn't trying to burn off my fingerprint. Nothing to hide there. Sin hardens you. How often are we supposed to do this? Daily. I'll tell you, one of your questions for your community group this week is this. How can we as a community group obey this verse? How can we be that for one another? I've really missed being with you. That's a really, really good thing. Because sometimes being a pastor in the same place over and over and over, you sort of can't manufacture whether you miss or don't miss it. I've been gone for two weeks. I was really, really looking forward to, to, to being here worshiping with my church family. I need this as your pastor. You need this. You need more than Sunday to Sunday, though, don't you? That's part of what midweek group is for. Here's one more verse that shows real love isn't just getting away from the dark, but actually going after it. Ephesians 5.11, listen carefully. These are all written in your notes, I think. Ephesians 5.11 says this, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. How black and white is that? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds. Uh, deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Do you know that a part of love is exposing the evil and wickedness that's going on around you? 
Jesus did this, and it got him killed. Jesus did this, and he got kicked out of his home church. Jesus did this, and he got maligned by his family. Do we expect any different for us? There's some incredible organizations doing this organizational-wide. International Justice Mission, for instance, is an organization that is fighting. Think about how horrible we've become numb to this term, sex-trafficked children. So that just gave me chills once again, to hear the word sex-trafficked children. It ought to just make your skin crawl that there needs to be an organization that is shining light on sex-trafficked children. I wear a lot of Foster the City swag because they keep giving it to me, and it's pretty cool. I just got a beanie, and one of my teammates, she said, Dave, I can't wait for the potential eternity-changing conversations that will come from you wearing that beanie. I wear Foster City all over the place, and especially when I'm with some of my kids, people often engage in conversation with me. Foster City is exposing the homeless crisis happening amongst children called foster care, meaning that there are needs for loving, safe families to step in and help these biological families. There's an exposing nature to the good work God gives to people. Feeding the hungry, wondering why they're hungry and we're not. Ask those questions. You'll start feeling the bullets. You'll start feeling sort of the the pushback that Jesus certainly got. I would just be remiss to say this. It's been so powerful just to think of the sort of loving all ways that this church has been engaging in. Many of them I don't know about. It's always a thrill to sort of be in conversation with one of you and, and go, you're doing that? Like, that's, that's just so incredible. I love that you're sacrificially loving that person. That inspires me to no end. It has nothing to do with the program we're doing. It has no real tie into here. It's just that you're a Christian loving people. But we've had opportunity to do some things here, um, here at this church, and you got to hear a little bit about it, but the, the family night out that went on. Again, just, just bring us your... Your foster kids and you foster parents, go have, a, go have a night out without the children. They'll be in a safe and loving place. And many of you just rallied to make that happen and go on with great success here. Hands of Hope, um, our Help One Child, has, has an exposing nature to the evil deeds of darkness. So love all means getting and keeping clear on what genuine love is versus the cheap fakes that are all around. It also means not being evil, and in fact, hating evil. And in fact, as you live a Christian life and gather with other Christians, you'll actually begin to expose the evil and be opposed by it. But here's the third one. Cling to what is good. So here's how I phrase the prayer. God, help me love all by remaining faithful and clinging to all that is good. Here's what I just want to say about this one. Cling to that which is good means this. We only have so many hands, right? We only have so many things we can grab hold of and let go of. A part of this progression is to say, God, I might be holding on to things that are not from you. I might be holding on to things that are sort of neutral, 
They're not inherently wicked, but they're not helpful either. So in this season, would you help us to start a new tradition if that's what needs to happen? And so as we look at spending less, what that means is, again, you can only hold so many things. And you go, you know what? I think we're going to spend less here. We're going to set this down right here. I don't want another frazzled Christmas. I don't want to be bickering on the way to Christmas Eve service. That's crazy. What are we doing that that's happening? What is it we need to set down in time or in responsibility or in opportunity? Don't you know some of these are just really good opportunities? I'm the guy that wants to say yes to everything. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd love to be a part of that. So part of, part of that is just setting down even the neutral or the good to cling to what is best. Cling to what is good. If you'd like to, it's always optional. I want you to hold your Bible, your tablet, your phone, however you tend to intake the Bible. I often have a physical Bible with me, but my eyes need the nice backlit screen these days. So I'm holding my iPad. Cling to what is good. I I just thought about us holding on to a Bible. The words in the Bible are faithful and true. The words in the Bible are eternal. They will stay pitch perfect in tune with God's will and with God's plan and with God's best. And it's been given to us. We have this gift sitting in front of us. So I try to say this in a whole bunch of different ways. But Christian, get in your Bible. Keep reading your Bible. If that feels like burden and you go, I just need help. I always start in January and I fizzle out by February. Would you please seek out help? I'll continue to try to help help kind of give helps along the way. But part of clinging to what is good is clinging to the word. Becky and I are uh, kind of ever marveling that many in our life, many that I went to school with, many that I've been in relationship with, many that I've been in ministry with, are doing this. They're sort of slowly drifting apart from taking the Bible seriously. That's really what it comes down to. And so an agreement over here that's very, very hard to defend biblically. In fact, they they don't even try or worry about it. They just say, I know God wouldn't want to harm or hurt or not be nice to this thing over here. Eventually, like you do that once, what happens is this. What about the next thing that comes along? If I've given agreement there and I've not clung to what is good, eventually you will lose your grip on the Word of God. I'm reading a chapter right now in a book called The Inerrant Word. The Inerrant Word. It's kind of a thick book. It's probably a bit nerdy for most of you. But the chapter is called this, How Scotland Lost Her Grip on the Word. How an entire nation lost her grip on the Word. Now, this happened a really long time ago, but Scotland was sort of the pinnacle of Christians, seeing seeing these Christians doing amazing things, loving in amazing ways, blowing sort of the rest of the world away, such that people went to Scotland to train and learn and grow from. And I tell you, the erosion that went on in Scotland sounds like it could have been written over the last 10 years here. 
I'm born and raised San Jose. I know this area very, very well. Agreement after agreement after agreement. And slowly but surely, it's just, it's just the word of truth slipping out of the hands. Cling to what is good. I hope the Bible contradicts you regularly. I think that's a really good and healthy sign. All right, let me wrap up with a couple thoughts and then we'll bring the band back up. Number one is this. A way to love all is simply to love actual people. Does that make sense? Like instead of love all, which means really love none, just begin to think about actual people. So love all means not love every person on the planet or every person in the nation or the state or the county. That will leave you paralyzed. Love everyone who comes across your path. How about that? Love all. We're on a mission here at Neighborhood Bible Church to turn strangers into neighbors and by God's grace, neighbors into family. I say by God's grace because no one can chokehold someone into the kingdom. That's been tried before. It's called the Crusades. It's terrible. Don't do it. (laughs) But you know what? You can turn a stranger into a neighbor just by talking to a barista. I'll tell you this truth. A smile goes a long way. Some of you are not natural smilers. It feels a little bit put on. But that is, a, that is just a signal to another person, hey, I'm willing to engage and, and, and talk. So strangers into neighbors this Christmas season. And then neighbors into family. We've been challenging you and praying for you, uh, Neighborhood Bible Church family, to, to prayerfully do one good invite for Christmas season this year. This coming Saturday night at 6 p.m., we're going to have something in here on Christmas Eve. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be wonderful. We've been sort of building towards Christmas Eve, even in our decorations. It's going to be great. Hope you'll join us. The next day is Sunday, and that's Christmas Day. And every seven years, as you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And so we're going to have a 10 o'clock service. It's going to be bilingual. It's going to just celebrate our whole church family here together Hope to have you with us. Hope that you're able to invite a neighbor to come and be a part. Absolutely no judgment, loads of grace, if that doesn't fit into your Christmas plans. That's completely fine. Uh, but, but we think it's an amazing way to come and celebrate Jesus' birth is to be together. So here's two things to put in your brain. I don't even have time to, to expand on it. But think about this. What if you engaged in loving all by doing these two things? I think Jesus did this in spades. Breaking down stereotypes and building bridges. Breaking down stereotypes and building bridges. Let me give you two really quick examples. Um, Woman at the well. Woman at the well, Jesus comes, and he engages her. He actually gifts her what she needs most, which is connection and acceptance and some of these kinds of things. She is blown away as he starts talking to her about what true worship is. She is blown away by the fact that he would be the Messiah. She would have no idea that he would be the Messiah unless he said what he said at the end of their encounter, which is the Messiah you're looking for is the one who's talking to you. It's me. Jesus routinely broke down stereotypes. How is it that you, a Jewish man, are talking to me, a Gentile woman? Jesus didn't just say, up, Gentile woman. They hate us. We hate them. We're going to get into a slogan battle. I'll just let it be. Christian, hear me. I command you in the name of Jesus, break down stereotypes. Part two, build bridges. Here's what build bridges means. The very next passage, Jesus is talking to a Roman soldier, an occupying Roman soldier to a Jewish sort of peasant carpenter traveling rabbi teacher. Ripe 
for no connection. <laughs> Do you see that? Ripe for no connection. Jesus builds a bridge with this man by receiving him and then actually calling out the faith of this man who said, you don't even need to come to my house. I have people under my authority. I understand how it works. You just say the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Here, this occupying soldier, again, stereotype problem, there's a bridge that's built. Hunt for those, look for those. When it says, as you have opportunity, do good, look for the opportunity, pray for the opportunity. God, I'm yours today as I go to Target. I'm yours. I'm yours as I drive on the roads of San Jose. Come on now, some of you are like, wait a minute, I have to love all while I drive? Try it out, it's amazing. Band, come on up. I have given you, uh, each week we've given you this sort of garland prayer prompt, okay? And here's the prayer prompt that I want you to fill out and turn in as you leave today, should you want. All of us have groups of people that it's hard for us to believe that God actually has a plan and loves them. I want you to be vulnerable. You don't need to write your name on it. But right here on this paper, it's hard to believe, but you love blank. You might say, my pastor. Right, I don't know what you're going to write. But there might be categories of people, sort of stereotype groups of people, that are really opposing you right now. They're playing the villain in your story. God, it's hard to believe, but you bled and died and reached out to love them. Write that down. Turn that in on the way out. These are going to be sort of the prayers of the saints. It's going to turn sort of a garland chair uh, chain link as we walk in Christmas Eve. Our trees will be decorated with the prayers of the saints over these last four weeks. And then here's the spiritual practice. And I say practice because it really does take practice to do these things. Celebrate your limits by loving specifically. Oh, I had a second part. Here's the second part. So celebrate your limits by loving specifically. That means that loving all doesn't mean I need to feel overwhelmed. Love specific people. Love specific people that you come in contact with. Celebrate that you couldn't possibly love every single home on your street. So celebrate your limits by loving specifically. Here's part two if you want to write it down. Celebrate your wealth by loving lavishly. We all have limits, and that's a great thing. You will eventually get tired. You will eventually get hungry. You will eventually wear out. As you do that, you begin to get hangry and hard to live with. If you love all because you think it's your mission to love every person on the planet, you'll be unbearable to live with, and you won't really be loving anyone well. Celebrate your limits. Celebrate your immeasurable wealth by loving lavishly. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for showing us how to do this. Lord, this is an encouraging good news message this morning. It is not a depressing one. And we can say that because of the simple fact uh, that you showed us how to do it. You promised to be with us. You're a good, good father. You wouldn't tell us to do something and not give us the means to be able to carry it out. God, I pray that even this Christmas season, in this next 10 days, 14 days, God, perhaps as we wade into places and relationships and conversations and being face-to-face in a room with people, God, that will be very, very challenging for us. Or would you meet us where we are at? Would you help us to love lavishly in your name? Amen.